your devices and uh, you want to turn to uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3. Remember that in Ecclesiastes we read a little bit of a... Uh, Ecclesiastes is always a strange book, but that point where he's dealing with, you know, what's the purpose of life? And he's put... Uh, 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 what, it's to do good, he says. It's to do good. You look at life and you see a, a meaninglessness, but then he says he's put eternity in your hearts. And so, therefore, we look at the struggles of life and we find no sense about it, but we think there must be some sense, and so it turns our eyes up to God and we find all of a sudden sense in God's way of doing things, not in man's way of doing things. We say, see sense in God's way of doing things. He says it's to do good. And so we are made to do good. And therefore, uh, uh, I want that to be in our minds. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I don't know if you've read of him or heard of him. Most people would have. He's a very famous writer, but he was writing at the time of the, 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 the closing of communism in Russia. Really, one of those writers that was allowed freedom to write about that, which was strange, especially when it was coming to the end. And um, uh, I read two of these books I've read is uh, uh, um, uh, Gulag Archipelago and, and uh, Cancer Ward and they're worth reading and this man became a believer and he was dealing with the end of communism and when asked why did the horrors of communism come about, they asked him that at a, at a, at a writer's meeting and he answered men have forgotten God so he answered, men have forgotten God we could add to that we have nowadays forgotten man. The chaos, the confusion of evil. We have forgotten God. and We have forgotten what man is. And he also said this, uh, and, and you need to think about this one a little bit. He said, today's world has reached a state which, if it had been described to preceding centuries, would have called forth the cry, this is the apocalypse. Okay, have you got hold of that? If previous centuries, if you went back in time and could explain to them what things were taking place now, they would say, that is the apocalypse. That is the end of time. That is something very, very bad. And yet, he added this, we have grown used to this kind of world. It doesn't trouble us. It doesn't cause us problems. We've grown used to it. We've become desensitized to it. We've had our uh, 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 inoculation against it. We've had our inoculation against it, yet we have grown used to this kind of world. We even feel at home in it. That's a really sad place to be. The world and its disorder and its chaos, its moral confusion that it's running to should not feel comfortable for you or I. We should not feel that this place is our home and set roots down here and just live for ourselves in it. There are two books written to the church of Thessalonians. Uh, new believers in Thessalonica, they were good believers. They were praised by Paul. If you read the first, of the, the first chapters of both of those books, they were full of faith and of love and that, that their faith was being made known throughout the world. There were other churches that looked at them and said they're a good group of believers. There are other non-believers. They were so radical in their Christian lives that looked at these and they said, 
These are changed people. What's taking place in their life? Their love and their faith was being made known round and about to the people about them. So Paul was encouraging these people in these ways and they were good and they were growing and they had a good testimony. But there were issues. There were things that were taking place within the church. There were things that were taking place that were confusing them. There were issues of Christ's return, teachings that had come in that were confusing them about the return of Christ. There were issues that had come in about dealing with the resurrection. And there was this issue about the man of lawlessness. In fact, there were de- they, some were coming in and saying, well, Christ has already come and gone back again. So what's going to take place with, 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 with um, you or, or, or what's going to take place with, with, with those that have already <coughs> died and Christ hasn't come and they were expecting him to come? And there was this issue of the man of lawlessness. And really, we know that there's always been a lawlessness. Satan is lawless and he encourages lawlessness. So throughout the history of the world, there have been, we can call, little men of lawlessness. There have been people that have been leading and they have been able to be leaders because the people themselves want lawlessness and chaos. And there's been a whole group of them, but it's going to work throughout history (coughs) up to this place where there's going to be a man of lawlessness, a big one, one that comes before Christ comes again and so he was dealing with those sorts of things and they were courage to hold fast listen to good teaching because there was bad teaching you notice how Paul finishes the letter I Paul write this greeting with my own hand this is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine that it, it's what I write because <clears throat> there had been other people that had been writing letters in Paul's name probably that were not from Paul's hand and that were sending them round to the churches to confuse people. Maybe they were wanting to write them just because they wanted some fame and wanted some credibility. <clears throat> Maybe they were writing because they wanted to confuse the churches into giving them money. But there were reasons why these letters were going around, and so Paul had to say, look, this is from me. So he made many of his letters like that to show the genuineness of what was taking place because there was non-genuine things that were taking place. And there are non-genuine things that are taking place around you, around your lives, with the churches and with the different things that are involved in the name of Christ, in the name of Christianity. There are confusions taking place today as there was then and as there will always be because some people are trying to make out of it. It's Everyone's looking to make something out of something, and so people will try to make out of Christianity, and so that is taking place, sadly. But he was telling them to hold fast to good teaching, to imitate good. He dealt with that place. You ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. So look at our lives. Look at what we say. Look at how we behave amongst you. We're not on the make and our lives are there given for you to bless you. We're not there to get things from you. The only thing we want to get from you is your love and we want to see you walking well with the Lord because that is our great encouragement. And that is a direct example of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself, who was always giving himself for us. And so there's the testimony. There's the thing to... To, to copy, to give yourselves for the sake of others, not to try to get from others. Uh, uh, just as going down a side road here, um, uh, there was a, a, a philosopher, I think his name was Hegel, and he, he was dealing with what is the self, and to know yourself, okay, they deal with these sorts of things, I don't understand them completely, to see yourself as who you are, to have identity, you need somebody else to see yourself against. 
Now, at one time, we would have dealt with being part of community, but nowadays we see ourselves as an individual, so we need somebody to see ourselves against. But really, the exalted position of ourselves is seen when we dominate that other person. In fact, we don't really want to dominate them to the extent of taking their lives. We want to get near to that, and that's why you get bullying in schools, because people want to be the top. So a little example of that would be, you know, when you're having sports at school or, or people, are, children are playing in the playground. I don't know if it took place in your schools. It did in mine. All of a sudden, we would have a football game, and we'd choose two people to be the leaders. And those two people would take it in turns to choose others to be in their team. Have you ever done that? Some people are smiling. They're with me. You're with me on this, are you? Yeah. You've experienced that. Were you the one that was chosen first or the one that was chosen last? Can you remember that one? Because if you're chosen last, you're the sort of worst one, aren't you? You don't want to be chosen last. I mean, you're either the leader. If he chooses you first, you think, well, I'm popular or I'm good at this sport. And you feel good about yourself. But the last one doesn't feel good. And if there's one that doesn't get chosen, oh, well. But, but, but it's to do with who's important. And you see that as against other people and other people's reactions. And so eventually it breaks itself down because it feeds your pride. And you eventually end up doing things that you feel in your workplaces. Pushing people down so that you feel good about yourself. It all works through. That's exactly the opposite to what Jesus Christ did. And he, Paul teaches you know, to, 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 to view others as better than yourselves. That became a nonsense to some people, but that was the life of the church that Christ himself gave himself to lift up, not to put other people down. I hope you're not in the practice of putting other people down because the world puts other people down and you get used to doing the same thing in your workplaces and in your places of school. You don't do that. As Christians, we behave differently. We pick other people up, even to the detriment of our own selves. Anyway, that's gone off a track that I didn't want to. But anyway, so, so we're, we're encouraged to hold fast to good teaching, to be biblical, to be disciplined, not to be unruly, not to be lazy, to grow in faith, and love, and in 3 verse 13, again, as we read, read from Ecclesiastes, as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good, but to imitate Paul and uh, uh, the others that were with him. How you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Honourable, honest, walking, working, not a burden, and there were false teachers who were lazy, who were greedy, who were dishonest. So beware of such. As Paul followed Christ, who became poor so that we might become rich, so he was doing the same thing. Rich in love and faith, and that's what this church wants for you, a richness in love and faith. Uh, we're not bothered whether you've got money in your pocket. Well, we're bothered whether you can get by or not, and that you're working properly. Uh, but be careful not to be overcome with the love of money or power or looks or identity which the world presses in on you. And so we hold a barrier against those things because they are unhelpful. And that makes you cold towards Jesus. And it takes away your understanding of the word of God also. It hinders you. Now, I want to us to think a little bit about the end of this letter, really, or, or verse 16, really. And I'll read that out again. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. In every way, the Lord be with you. 
Now, uh, uh, so, so, so the key word there is peace. The Lord of peace himself. God is a God of peace. And the Lord of peace, uh, uh, you have peace at all times in every way. The Lord being with you, creating that peace. Careless, wayward, lazy living, if you want to put it in the context of the words that took place before, that does not lead to peace. It leads to disorder. So it's this disorder in life that is being juxtaposed with peace and order. God's order is an order that brings peace and the waywardness, the laziness, uh, the chaos in the person's life doesn't bring peace. It opposes peace. Now when you say goodbye, we used to write letters at one time. Many of you probably don't know how to and uh, you've probably forgotten what a pen is, really. Uh, um, you know, you've got a, a, a screen and something to write with and things like that. You know, you tap buttons. But, but I used to write letters. I don't write letters anymore. Uh, we used to write plenty of letters. But at the end of a letter, uh, you usually sign off. You know, yours faithfully, yours sincerely. You know, I hope you're well or something like that. And you just throw something out there. You just throw something away at the end of it. But yeah, now you just put an emoji on it or something like that. I don't know what you put on, but you don't, you know, just a smiley face. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Paul wasn't like that. He wasn't just saying, "All right, let me just say some nice, uh, warm words." You know, may the God of peace be with you. Amen. That's a nice thing to say, isn't it? Let me just finish with that. He's not doing that. He's dealing with it still in the area of the teaching of this word and he's dealing with it in specific relation to, to the peace and the order that God gives as opposed to the disorder that comes from wrong teaching and wrong living. And that's the context with which he's putting it there. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did not waste words. He didn't just put a few words off the top of his head in. These are put there by God himself. So it's important and he signs off with peace. And it carries with it a big, big, big idea. The peace of God. The peace of God. I was, was confused by an emphasis on this peace as a young believer. I don't know whether you got involved in things like this, but I did. We used to go out and get involved in outreach. It might have been in the town centre. It might have been in other areas. And sometimes, uh, uh, we don't see it today so much, but um, people would stand and they'd be interviewed about how they became a Christian. And, be, and it might be at a campaign. And people would say, you know, well, what took place? And you'd explain what had taken place and how you came to faith in Christ. And it would be a real life and a real life story. And it was interesting and it helped people, your testimony. But many people would say, well, I found a peace come into my heart. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't quite relate to that. Well, what's this sort of, I kept thinking this sort of squidgy, mushy sort of a feeling that comes into your heart. And, and I didn't, I don't know whether I even wanted that, to be quite honest. I think I had a bit more energy and I wanted to run around doing things. I didn't just want to sit down and feel like I had this sort of soft squidginess inside of me. And so I was a little bit, I didn't quite enter into it, if you can say that. You know, that I had this peace or, or I was, uh, 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 and I thought to myself, well, 
If I talk to people about Islam, they'd say, well, I have the peace of Allah. If I talk to some Buddhist, they say, well, I, I meditate and I do this, or some Hindu, and I, and I find peace by meditating. And I'm thinking, well, there's a testimony gone. It's not a very powerful argument. If I say I find peace and they say they find peace, well, everyone's finding peace, aren't they? And they're walking around with a smile on their faces. And isn't this great? And what's it all about? Well, my peace is real, more real than yours, or something like that. I mean, what can we do with that? It's, very, it's not very... Uh, objective, is it? It's a very subjective thing, and I was a little bit frustrated by it, but we're dealing here with the peace of God. In Turkish, there are a number of words for peace. Uh, someone else told me once, this is an interesting thing, before getting onto that, he said very often, and, and he was talking about people that were, uh, he was Nigerian, actually, that was straight, and he said, um, uh, very often he said, you know, when, when we're asking a girl to go out with us, I don't know, I say, I'm looking at Victor now, you see, and uh, he's done this, and not many of you might not have done this, you know, I'm not quite sure, Joshua has done that, obviously, being a married man, and, uh, 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 and, and, and they go to this girl, and, and she, she's a bit coy, she doesn't sort of leap at the, them and say, I've been wanting you to ask me to go out for ages and ages. Yes, of course, of course. You know, she goes away and she plays coy and then, then she says, well, I find I've got a bit of, I've, I've got a piece about this, you see. Or, or, I ask you to get married and she says, well, I need to pray about this. And then she comes back and says, God's given me a piece about this. I don't know, have you ever done that? I don't know. Uh, obviously, someone in Nigeria has. And the, <laughs> and and that's not it, you see. It's not at all where it is. Okay? That's not what it is. In Turkish, there's huzur. There's probably more words. There's huzur, or there's barish, or there's esenlik. And the word here, I'm pretty sure, I've not checked it. Actually, it's been a bit lazy of me, really. Uh, uh, is esenlik, God's esenlik. The, the, the fact that, you know, this barish is this sort of sense of Peace between fighting people, okay, between a war and you've got battles. Someone, someone helps you to find this peace and sort of goes between you and takes away the fighting and the war and you've got this battles that's called. And then you've got this, this huzur, which is this sense of peace that we were talking about, this sort of squidgy feeling inside of, yeah, I find peace. I, I pray to God and he's given me a peace that I can say yes to you about getting married to you or something like that. You know, it's this very subjective feeling about that. Uh, it doesn't always stay there in your marriage. It might have done with Andrew and Daphne, but it doesn't with me. Um, uh, 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 peace sometimes goes. And the problem that I've got with this, uh, if I depend totally on that sense of my feeling of peace, when I'm saved, as soon as it goes away, well, what then? Am I not saved? Do I jump in and out of salvation dependent upon the level of peace that comes upon me in my subjective feelings? That is absolute nonsense. It's not how that works. It's through faith in Christ alone. You need to ask yourself, am I trusting Christ? Not am I feeling that I'm trusting Christ? Huzur is a feeling of setness, this, this health. This everything is in order. This everything is well. This is everything as it should be. This is the essenlik. This is the peace that he's talking about here. The peace that comes about because there was non-peace because of wrong teaching and wrong behaviour. So you needed a peace to be there. And the peace is that God is at peace. God, when he created the world... Things were good, so they were at peace. They were at Essenic. They were as they should be. Some would say in uh, uh, the Jewish language, it would be the shalom, this sense that everything's all right. He is the Lord of peace. 
not the subjective feeling of your happiness. This peace is a place of God's order. Uh, 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 there are examples of this that God shows in the physical world. Order is where everything works well and disorder is where things don't work well in the physical world and that affects the spiritual world. There is a spiritual word, world of order when things are as they should be and things are as they should be in your lives when your lives are aligned with the way in which God is and the which God wants them to be. That's not saying that there aren't differences in your lives, but that's one of the reasons why we pick up on marriage and we've exalted it, because that's God's order. And when things are well, the way of God's order works to bless. So when things are going chaotic, then marriages break down at an alarming rate because it's chaos, it's not order, it's not the peace of God. No matter what people individually say about the peace that they feel, it is not peace. Peace is when things are ordered the way in which God orders them. Now God created the world and the, 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 the word that's used there is from, from chaos. It didn't mean a mess. It meant that things weren't ordered together. And God spoke into existence things and he brought things into order. Not from a mess, but from a nothingness. And he brought order. And that's the word that's taking place here. God is bringing order. Bringing things into his order is the things that are into his peace. The God of peace. The God of order. The God of the way things should be. It's the very basis for science, really, if any of you are scientists. The reason that you can do science is because there is an order in nature and you can look into that order and you can find things around and about it. It's not a piece that's just being organised. I mean, you might be a disorganised person and after this sermon you might run home and think, I am so guilty of being so disorganized and in chaos, I've got to tidy my room or something like that. Don't come to my house and look at it, it's a mess. Um, but, but what I'm saying is this, that, that is, it, I mean, we British, we think of Germans as being very organized. I mean, there's nobody that's German in here, I don't think, at the moment, looking around. Uh, 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 and, 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 and it's not being organized like that. It's not dealing with just... It might be good to be like that. I'm not saying that it's bad. You know, you need organization in your life. You need order in your life. If you don't have order in your life, you can't do anything. For crying out loud, you just can't do anything. So you need to be organized. It's not wrong to be. But he's talking about organized spiritually. It's having the right order of things. It's having the order of being a child of faith. It's having the order of having your sins forgiven. It's having the order of knowing God through Christ. It's having the order of the way in things which things should be. Spiritually, that's what it's dealing with. God's order in God's world. And God, Paul's often looking at the, at, at the created order and taking the picture from it. God brought order. Again, if we go to, 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 to I'll give you a free lesson here. Um, 
have you ever heard of that? And there'll be those of you out there that are far brighter than me and know far more of this subject than I do, so I'm not putting myself up as an expert. Have you, have you, but you've probably not heard of the word of entropy. Has, has anybody heard of entropy here? Yeah, yeah, are you an engineer? Probably a scientist, or maybe not. Yeah, that's scientist. I hate to give this example now. Um, anybody else? Yeah, we've got Victor there, so you've heard of entropy. It deals with, teaches it, don't you? You've mentioned this thing, I don't quite understand it. It was always a mystery. I heard it, oh yeah, yeah, thank God also he's heard of it. There we go. So, so uh, Brother Baldur's heard of it. So we get, uh, yeah, we've got Penno over there. Uh, we've got people that have heard about it. So I'm speaking to about half of you at the moment. Um, uh, uh, but what, it, it, it's sort of a, 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 I don't know how to, it's a group of sort of energy, and it means that things actually run down into this level. I think it's maximum entropy when everything is just at a low level within the universe. And when you bring it all together, you've got a, a system that's got a lot of energy. And so if I take it like this, right, water runs downhill, okay? Here's a simpler way. Water runs downhill. And say you put that water through a wheel and let that wheel turn, yeah? Are you with me on that? Yeah? Water's going down, wheel's turning, and you're making electricity from that wheel, okay? Yeah, that's good, isn't it? That's renewable energy. We're all happy with that. But then, all of a sudden, you want to take that water and push it back up the hill. And you take that electricity from that machine, and you put it on a pump, and you push it back up the hill. Do you get all the water back up the hill? No. Why not? Well, it just makes sense. You don't get it all back, do you? You've lost something. Some of the energy's gone to a low-lying state, the heat in the motor and things like that has dissipated into what the surrounding, you can't get hold of it and use it again. So the world or the universe is in one sense running down. Okay? It's running down. It's from this state of order to a state of disorder. That's one of the evidences that there is God, if you want evidences for it, because he took everything in its state of maximum entry, and he brought it all together, and he created order from it. And that thing, even the sun, people say it's running down. I mean, don't get worried. It's probably going to be another 50 million years or so, if they've calculated it correctly. So it's not going to run out before you've had your holiday. Um, but, but it's God's order, and God's created order, and it runs down. And that's what takes place in the world, spiritually, when there is order in what God does and did, and when you sin and do wrong, you are creating chaos and disorder in God's ordered world. And that's what took place with Adam and Eve, and that's what's taking place now. It brings about a mess. So God in creation made order out of chaos, and his order is peace in the physical world and the spiritual world, and we know that your sin separates you from God. We know your sin separates from others, and we know your separates separates you from creation. So, your, so the sinfulness of man brings about divorce. The sinfulness of man brings about people that are determined to follow their own lusts and ways, and so it brings about a mess in the way in which we look at individuality and sexuality, and the whole LGBTQ plus situation is chaos, is disorder, and everything that is chaos and disorder is non-peace, and it is harmful. And that's the problem. It is harmful, it is very harmful. It is self-harm. It happens in all selfish areas of life, the love of money and the greed of man. 
and the way in which we're so keen to take up arms against each other. It ends up in marriage breakdown. It ends up in everything like this. It is harmful. It's a breaking down. And this is what Paul was saying. He's saying, look, may the Lord of peace be with you because it's the Lord that puts all things in your lives back into the order in the way it should work. John 1, 1, all things were created through Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. He is the one by whom all things were made, and Hebrews 1 also deals with it. He is the God that brings all order in, so he's Jesus himself that steps into the world of great disorder. And where we think about Entropy in the second law of thermodynamics, taking things down. In the spiritual word, thank God, Christ can spin it right back 100%. He doesn't lose his energy on this one. He can bring your lives from a state of extreme disorder, and you might be going down that line. Your girlfriend or your boyfriend might not be believers. You might be chasing money far too much. You might have selfishness that's deeply in your lives. You might have anger and you might have hatred and bitterness in your hearts and you might have opened a door to some of those things. I don't know. And yet Christ can turn those right around and bring you back to a state of order and a state to where it should be, but you have to die with him. You have to come to the cross. He alone can restore order and peace in you. You can't do it by yourself. Your heart won't let you. Your intentions are not good enough. They're not strong enough. You are sinful, you are fallen, you are broken. But Jesus Christ is the one you need to come to. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But salvation has been made possible through the cross. So the fallenness and the brokenness and the disorder all work together to come against Jesus. And he there brought order again through the cross and all things will be restored completely and without sin when Christ himself comes again. Order in your home, in your church. Peace, not the absence of opposing wrong, but a correct response to Christ's teaching. You might think this means that in the church we can't argue about wrong teaching because that will bring a lack of peace. No, he's exactly wrong. Paul opposed the wrong. He opposed the wrong teaching because the wrong teaching and the wrong dealings and the wrong livings themselves would be the things that would create disorder and steal peace. So the church needs to be holy. So he said in verse 6, keep away. Uh, uh, uh. keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you receive from us. And we think, well, that's a little bit hard, isn't it? Surely we should be loving and accepting everybody. And he say, no, it's not that you shouldn't be loving. That's not the issue. The issue is this, that if there's a brother and he's living in disorder and we, the church, accept that disordered living, then we take that teaching into the church and other people start to say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And it causes 
lack of love and it causes fellowship breakdown and it causes disorder and it takes away from the testimony of the church. So even though it needs to be dealt with lovingly, the brother that is in disorder, in idleness, is not walking in accord with the traditions of the gospel, needs to be dealt with. But again, he just says, do not regard him as an enemy in verse 15, but warn him as a brother. Wrong teachings, wrong behavior, imitate, get, don't, don't go there. Imitate the right. Read and understand. Don't be idle in God's world. Don't be idle in God's word. He made you in this world to work and enjoy the labor of your hands, as we read in Ecclesiastes, and to bring order, spiritual order, emotional order, physical order, together with him in this broken world. Are you a good believer? Are you working to do good? Christ works to do good, bringing peace by the cross. Just as a caveat, we have to remember, though, in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, if you've got your Bibles or you, you, you want to turn with me to Ephesians 2, uh, uh, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, because talking about works, we always need to be very careful that we don't let our minds get onto this situation where we think that... Because we're good people and we do good things, then our works affect our salvation or they save us. No, they don't do that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing, it's a gift of God. That's total, that's free, that's a gift, it's not anything to do with you. Not as a result of works, so that no one might boast. That's quite clear, isn't it? No one's unclear about that one. For we are his workmanship, though, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you can't get away with it and say, I'm totally made for, it's totally saved by grace and therefore it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't do that. It's the same, well, the same verse, the verses we'll put in later. It's the same sentence. It's the same structure. It's in the same thought that you're saved by grace, not of your, yourselves. It's a gift of God. Hallelujah. It's not dependent on you because you're a sinner, so it would never work. But then you're saved for a reason. And what's that reason for? Thank you. For good works. Peace is bought by the cross. Christ brings back order into our lives from the disorder left by sin. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or our letters. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, our God and Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in... Every good work and word. Hold to the traditions, the gospel teachings, the order, and do every good 
work and world. And, you, you, and, and he was calling them the first fruits. The first fruits. The new created order. Those that, you see the radicalness of what was taking place. Christ died. Christ rose. Believers came to faith in him, came to new life. And they saw all of a sudden that though this world was broken, they were a new creation. They were a new ordered people. Now, how many of you are church members? How many of you are church members? Right. Why are the rest of you not? Why are you not part of the order? Look, you can be members of your own churches back in Nigeria at the same time. But there's an order that you called into as a new creation, whereby we as a church are saying to the world outside, there's a new way of living, there's a new way of behaving, there's a new life that's in Jesus. And you say, yes, that's me, I'm a new life in Jesus. But why can't you exercise that life together with the church and put your responsibility together here and get involved with the praying of the church and get involved in the loving of each other? You might be doing that to some extent. But why not? You might say, well, I've never been baptized. Well, talk to Manuel. He's already spoken today about it. We are his people. Don't leave the church weak by staying outside or at a distance. By just coming on the fringes. That's not the new creation order that Christ has designed to bless you in. First fruits. The start of God's heaven's order. Get into it. You know, when, when farmers, you know, they make these, there's a lot of them put a lot of effort in to try to get the first fruits out. I don't know if you've ever noticed, I say it more particularly with this thing that they call uh, a yeni dunya. I forgot what the English name for it. Kumquat, I'm not sure, whatever, anyway. Kumquat. Yeah, anyway, whatever. And there's a time when they come on the market and they're quite low cost. I like them. But anyway, they're quite low cost. But if they first come on the market, and they're good, then the price is probably three times what it is later on. And so the farmer wants to get it to the market at that point, rather than the later point. So he puts a lot of effort into getting the first fruits out. Okay? You're the first fruits of the new creation. Christ put a lot of effort into getting you out there. So live as first fruits with the extreme value that you've got as God's people because he's not going to change the world through you by the amount of money in your pockets. He never will. In fact, sometimes the only way he can change you into coming people of faith is to take away the money in your pockets because you're depending too much on it. Briefly become the people of God, living together as a family of God, loving and caring for each other and not behaving like the world behaves but being part of the new order. Do you see how it works? Do you see how the blessing of God comes to you? So you're sanctified to live holy in a non-holy world. And that can be painful. It can be painful because you've still got the old sinfulness within you and the old scars. Sinless in a sin-spoiled world, which is not easy, but that's the victory. That is our spiritual warfare and it's not hard because we are being renewed inwardly, constantly. When a person goes into battle, they get tired and they need to be taken out and given time to relax before going back in. But the spiritual world operates differently. You get stronger by being involved in it. 
get involved with the people of God. So keep the traditions of God's truth. Christ redeems the whole of creation and all will be ordered by him. No matter how much you were scared of the Putins of this world, there were the Alexanders the Great a long time before Putin. There were the Nebuchadnezzars a long time before these people that you might be frightened of. I could name any, anyone. You might think they're good or they're bad. The world is not in the hands of man. It is still God's world. It is his. And it always will be. The foundation is not in you, but in God, in Christ. Listen to him. He does not change. He rules the world and history and will do so. So doing good, 3.13 we've read. Galatians 6, 8 and 9, if you just turn back to that one. Uh, uh. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Uh, that, that was just nine. I'll read eight. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. If you're not careful and you're not involved in the church life and the life of Christ and the life of God, that's what will take place to you. For the one who sows to his flesh will not from the flesh reap, will from, from, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Many people want to live forever. They try all sorts of things. Some people even try freezing their own bodies and brains. No. From the Spirit you'll reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do you think about and practice doing good? Is it part of your prayer life? Give me something good to do today for you, for the kingdom of God. Give me good to do. Let me deny myself and follow you. Let me not seek after what I want, but let me seek to lift somebody else up. Not always either. A practice of the mind. It's really harmful to see some Christians' practice of the mind is to see what they can get all the time, where they can get it from. Now, I'm not denying that it's not difficult, especially if you're from a poor situation. But to get into that habit of thinking is really bad and really harmful. It's not self-centeredness. So and again, going back to Galatians uh, 6, 15 to 16 this time. For neither circumcision counts for anything uncircumcision, but a new creation. And it is for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. In doing good, in being the new creation as first fruits, peace and God's peace order, not the subjective feeling, but the real objective peace and goodness as taught by God. The world will substitute this. The outcome, moral uncertainty, evil, chaos, change. Constant change as man's trying to institute himself above God's order. 
And don't make no mistake, his law shows his order. His law. I mean, you don't need to go... His law is full character. And we're not going into the details of that. His law in which the way in which he expects from you to live morally and spiritually. And we can only have, we only have to look at the Ten Commandments when you want to see the centre of worship and the centre of life at the very start is God himself. So if you want to start from law there and then dealing with the way in which you relate to others, relate to your wife, relate to uh, your mothers and fathers, deal with that one. Or deal with the way then in which you behave in terms of, of being thieves or being be, be people that are covetous and things like that. He's dealing with the whole of the heart and Jesus Christ himself opens it up in Matthew chapter 5 if you want to look at that again. But God's order, God's structure, which deals with the heart and the way in which you've got to put yourself down and under God's ways and you need this new birth to enter that. Be born again for your sake. For your sake, be born again. For your sake, come to the cross. For your sake, have new life. For your sake, for your happiness here, for your peace here. Otherwise, you will go through life fighting God and not having peace until you lie in the grave. And that's not what he wants for you. Live. Not as a troubler, not as a chaos bringer, not of a problem causer, but one who brings peace and goodness. Not cheating, not lying, not laziness, no disorder. I know that sometimes you almost can't help but lie. You're so pressured by the system. But we pressure back against the system. The reason that Jesus was killed from a worldly point of view is that he pressured the system. He couldn't cope with him. Be one of those that pressures the system with goodness and doesn't go along with the flow of badness. How is your life squaring with God's commands? Are you finding joy in service? Are you fitting with God's ways? Are you seeking to please God in all your ways? So stray away from the unruly. So the unruly will come back and see clearly that they need to be part of God's ordered peace. We are not disordered. Now wrong teaching brings destruction. So look at right teaching, uh, 2 Timothy 2.17. And their talk, right, uh, uh, from 16 I'll read, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene among them, are Hymenaeus and and Philatus. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Something needs to be cut off, something that's destructive, something that brings about death. That's what their talk does. That's why it's important that teachings are held fast to them, reading from the, the same chapter, 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. 
correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps gain them repentance, leaving to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So it's the snare of the devil when you get into that. It's against God. The wrong teaching, the wrong behavior, it's a snare. It's harmful. Be aware of wrong teaching that brings destruction and give yourselves to good teaching. Are you bothered about good teaching? I mean, do you read about good teaching? Do you love it? Because it brings order and it doesn't bring death and destruction, but it brings life. And the word of God, that's why you give yourselves to the word of God. It brings life. That's why you come on a Sunday to hear the word of God open, because it brings life. That's why you read the scriptures in the morning, because it brings life. It brings life and health and peace and godliness. And verse 14 talks about what takes place. Repentance. He says, don't do anything to regard him, but warn him as a brother so that there might be repentance. There might be a bringing back to the individual. Maybe you need to be brought back. Maybe you've been, maybe you just come along because it's your tradition to come along or because your parents expect you to come along. Well, thank God for parents. They expect you to. But it needs to work deeper than that. To have the blessings of God and to have the real ordered peace of God in your life. Sin came through man, chaos. Peace comes through Christ, the order of the cross. And the final order will take place when he comes again. I just want to finish with two verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. And then we'll have the song. I think we've got one song left, haven't we, choir? Yeah, so we're going to sit, stand and sing after this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And just reading the last verse of that chapter. But all things should be done decently and in order.